Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for each one who's come tonight as they um, hunger and thirst after righteousness and your word. Lord, we pray that you would uh, harden our hearts to the humanistic voices of this world, that you would soften our hearts to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming. Um, got some equipment here somewhere. Now, um, last week, we asked you to um, state some words or phrases which would describe our culture. I have this list, and I know there were some others, but I missed them, and uh, this will be enough. <laughs> so we, as we look at them there, um, this is what people suggested is possibly um, a way to describe our culture. And as we look at them, are they in agreement with the culture we would have in the church? If not, uh, what would be? So take the first one, for example, materialistic. Is that something that should be said of the church? Nope. No, okay. So what would be the opposite? The culture that should be in the church, which counters that, the counterculture. Caring. Pardon? Caring. Caring, okay. Caring. Caring. Generous, okay. So the idea being that someone who is materialistic and wants to accumulate stuff, whereas someone who is uh, not materialistic would be caring or giving. Um, so keep that in mind. We're going to come back to this, by the way, at the end, and you may want to just remember some of this. I will have this slide up again. Easily offended. Is that a good characteristic? All right, so what would be the opposite of that? Don't say not easily offended. <laughs> Pardon? Uh, a good one, yeah. Okay, all right. Mature. Mature? Yeah. So uh, that should be the characteristics. Then we have the next one, passive. Is that good? What's the opposite of passive? Assertive. Active, Assertive. all right. Should we be active or passive in our Christian life? Active. Active, okay. Um, polite. Polite. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite is rude, so <coughs> which one should we have in the Christian culture? Uh, I think we got a good one there. Oh, I, I think what person is saying here that suggested this is part of the Canadian culture is that we're always saying we're sorry, right? <laughs> whether you mean it or not. <laughs> um, liberal. Well, there's the tricky one. What's James 1.5 say? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and so on. So God is liberal. As a matter of fact, in the story of the prodigal son, do you know what the word prodigal means? Yeah, Liberal, right? It's actually the father's the prodigal one, yeah. not the son, because the father gave him everything, right? But so, in a sense, being liberal is good, but there are some things you don't want to be liberal about. Liberal and entitled are almost the same thing um, in the world. Liberal yeah. tends to say. You let anything happen, yeah. anything okay? Goes. Okay, anything goes. Yeah. Okay. Um, remember, libertine means there are no rules. You can do whatever you want. So, in a sense of that, is that something for the church? That, no. What's the opposite of liberal? I know conservative, but. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's the if the op if it anything goes, then the opposite is order. Okay. Pardon? Disciplined, yeah, okay. Structured. Mm -hmm. Structured, see? That, that is a hard one because I, I think we should be liberal in our giving, 
Yes? That, that's right. And that's the point. God is liberal to us too, in that sense. But as far as letting anything happen, no, we can't. Yeah, right. How about entitled? Is that good? No. No? The opposite would be? Humble. Humble? All right. Which should be a characteristic of the church, humility. Seeking entertainment, we're thinking, you know, uh, sports, uh, recreation, holidays, all that sort of thing. Is that? If it's a focus, okay. So if we're not focused on that, what would we uh, use as a word or a phrase? Right. So someone who is seeking the good rather than the pleasures. Now, we hear, we read in scripture that it's not good to be constantly seeking pleasures for yourself because that can... Uh, that's I think of the word amusement too. Instead of yeah. entertainment, yeah. without thinking. So okay. You should be thinking, right? Yeah, okay. Reasonably. So it would be more like sober? Sober, um, like content. Content, exactly. Uh, individualistic. No. No what? No, sir, that, that's bad. Bad, 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 bad. Okay. Bad <laughs> We're a body. We're part of a body. Okay. So what's the opposite of individualistic? Maybe? Community. Community. United. Fellowship. So on. Apologetic. Again, <laughs> that's something like polite. Yeah. Saying they're sorry. Um, that might be good, right? Yeah. Might be. We should be ready to give an apology when we sin. <laughs> What's that? We should be ready to give an apology. Anyway. We should be, yeah. I think that's humility, too. Boldness. Boldness. All right. So if we use it in the sense that we're meek, is that what you're saying? Uh, retiring? Well, that even goes back to passive and active. Mm hmm Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Hadn't thought of that. Yes. It is. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Finally, demanding rights. Is that good? We have no rights. We have responsibilities. All right. Just let that simmer for a bit because I'm going to uh, suggest you try some homework for next week. <laughs> but this week's homework was how do you think the church is buying into the culture where it shouldn't? I'm <coughs> sure you've got some ideas. We're not stuck with that first list. We We're not stuck with that first list. No, this is wide open. Where do you think the church is buying into the culture where it shouldn't? When I talk about the church, it's individuals in the church, not necessarily the whole group. See? I think a big one is Careful, don't we? We sing a song because we like the tune, that type of thing, and it, and it just grows to be the smoke and lights and the band. Yeah, not that that's in itself wrong, but it's a th just seems to draw away from the actual worship. Yeah, good, good point. All right, anything Words. else, uh, Kim? Yeah, the, um, what you might call the social 
gospel type of thing. Is that what you're saying? That. Um, okay. Right. We can't change their behavior until their heart is changed. Yeah. Okay. We forget the kingdom focus. Uh, if people aren't in the kingdom, they're not going to care about our standards. We have to be careful of that. I think we come in, people come into a church looking for what the church can do for them. So it's Con consumerism. Type consumerism of. rather than what they can do for the church. Yeah. For the body. Yeah. Celebrityism. 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 Uh, all the celebrity associated with music and Speakers. pastors and all the rest of yeah. it. And it's almost, it almost gets worshipful in itself. And so many people <coughs> soak that in and it leads them astray. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Making them feel, making them feel like they're supposed to be. Fern? Uh, just music finding uh, scripture to fit in with what they're following. Marriage or following. Isn't that something in the last yeah. we're decade letting, or more? We're letting the culture lead the church. Yeah. 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 We're taking our lead from the culture in many areas. In many ways, yeah. Just allow thinking you can make scripture fit and ignoring the parts that don't. That's what I was going to say. Making them feel good, not giving them the truth of scripture. Mm -hmm. Just giving them bits and pieces to make them feel good about themselves. And we know that the gospel, the cross, will cause offense, right? Um, and we can't soften that. Yeah, uh, there is a danger there that you miss a lot of things if you don't, if you always want to define the topics, yeah. Selective. Yeah, selective, yeah, the pet topics. What are you going to say, Tinka? It does. It does. It's part of the human condition. We think that we're earning our way into God's good favor. This is good. Yep. Um, two issues that we say we don't agree with and we don't, but I think they're still influenced and the world still influences our thinking. One is abortion and, and now the medically assisted When you read the the rationale for these things, yeah. you, they say they sound good. If yeah. somebody says to you, "Yeah, but what if, what if, what if?" Humanistic it reasoning. Good, it's, it's, yep. This is dignity. You you know it's wrong. Like hopefully you know those two particular issues are wrong, but it's easy just to let your mind go a little bit and think, "Yeah." Mm -hmm. I can see yeah. their point, yeah. <laughs> I can see your point, you know. We don't let dogs suffer. Why do we let people with ALS suffer? Yeah. You know, and so it's just, it's just one of those areas where we have to be really bold and stand firm and... Um, yeah, no. There's a probably a lot of humanistic reasoning and even with the gender issues too that people will try to go contrary to scripture. But that's us buying into the culture's yeah. view of the what life is, right? Yeah. That's just us not standing on what the Bible says life is. Yeah. So we've bought into the culture's view, like you said, humanistic, materialistic view. And this is why it's so important to learn theology, as, as Jason's been telling you. If you don't have the theological background in your thinking, you can be easily convinced and uh, can relapse into the world's point of view. So, um, any others? Feminism? Pardon? Feminism? Yeah. It's the role of men and women. It's uh, in so many churches which we would normally think would be preaching the gospel. And 
Um, you say they're not preaching the gospel. They probably are, but it's watering down the truth of scripture and it's going to lead somewhere else, you know? Um, once we start questioning one thing, what comes next? The dominoes start falling, right? All right, so we're coming back to some of this in a little while. The inbox in my uh, email from um, Koinonia House had these things just in the, in the last couple of days. Franklin Graham is determined to press ahead with his uh, United Kingdom preaching tour this summer, despite multiple venues pulling out. On Friday, the ICC Wales at Newport became the latest venue to cancel the evangelistic event after pressure from the LGBT campaigners. Jane Bryant, assembly member for Newport West and Pride Simaru had both called for the event in June to be called off. We should not be welcoming people like Franklin Graham to Newport, she said, according to Wales Online. Pressure is against anyone who wishes to do public events. Look at Chick-fil-A, fillet, right? Here's another one. Um, according to a report in Bitter Winter, communist officials have even been arresting family members and halting proceedings mid-service if they deem the ceremony um, of a funeral to be too religious in nature. The action is part of Canada, China's wider policy to synthesize the Christian faith and ensure the country's religious culture is aligned with the political ideals of President Xi Jinping. Um, Dr. Dobson this week took uh, Fox News to task because they allowed uh, drag queens in their advertising but refused to allow survivors of abortion. Um, every day almost you can find instances of things that are uh, counter to the Christian culture. And um, we see Stephen Harper and uh, Andrew Scheer being taken to task for their fiscal responsibility, but also their stand on personally of abortion and gender issues. And that's coming from the Conservative Party. We know our country's in trouble. South of the border, we have um, Mike Pence has been attacked because of his bow in how his relationship with women in public. Uh, his wife, Karen, has been attacked because she teaches in a Christian school. Trinity Western University. Two of my kids went there. One of my grandkids is there and another one's going in a year or so. Uh, they have spent millions of dollars to defend their right to have a school of law and a school for teachers. They, um, those who oppose it are in charge that their graduates would be prejudiced against those that don't agree with their morality. Graduates of TWU are banned from practicing in public because the university of, um, official supports Christian values, including student covenant, which by students agree to live a moral life, no gambling, no drunkenness, no extramarital intimacy, and their definition of marriage is between a man and a woman. The opposers call the university an, an evangelical Christian community's view of marriage as abhorrent, whoops, archaic and hypocritical. Now do you feel like an exile in your, we were talking uh, last week about being <clears throat> similar to the people in First Peter. Uh, Peter wrote this epistle to the elect exiles because the exiles were uh, new believers, obviously, because the church was very young, and they had uh, converted to Christ in their communities and had suffered so much persecution they had to flee. He wrote to them in five areas in northern uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey as we know, 
and um, they had to move to a new community. Maybe didn't even know the local language, although Greek was fairly common throughout most of that area. New uh, customs, leave their friends and family behind. They are marginalized, ostracized, misunderstood, and in many cases persecuted. They were exiled physically, geog geographically, but the church today is exiled ideologically. In other words, we're living in the culture, but we are still marginalized, criticized, ostracized, not understood, and in some cases persecuted. So when Peter writes to these people in 1 Peter, he could easily be writing to us, and that's why it's well worthwhile watching what he has to say. Now, we saw in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1, if you want to turn there, I think we're, we'll spend some time there again tonight. Just as a very quick review. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again. New life. When a person really comes uh, sincerely to Christ, their life changes. They are converted. They are, uh, old things have passed away, all things become new. We may not really understand this fully, but when we were at Corinth Lakes Bible College, um, a missionary came to teach some of the courses, and he explained to me something that I'd never thought of before. He said the majority of cultures in this world are called honor cultures, in which to um, be part of the community, you maintain the traditions of the ancestors. If you break with those traditions, then you are not honoring your ancestors, and you become uh, ostracized. In many cases, they are disowned, considered dead in the family, and in some cases, they're killed. That is worldwide. And that's why there's so much persecution. And when you make a decision spiritually, Satan's devices are very strong. It's particularly uh, difficult. Uh, in North America, it's similar, except that we are ostracized not because we have left the traditions of our ancestors, but because we don't agree with the changing morality. You remember last week we talked about morality as being what is happening in the culture. And our culture is changing. And we're being ostracized because we're not changing. All the way around the world, people are getting ostracized because they do change. We're the opposite. But we're still in the same boat. We're just as marginalized um, even though it's for the opposite reason. Then these people who are um, in First Peter then, they come to understand they're part of a new group which doesn't judge people based on race or gender or uh, status or their age. And they're not used to that. Um, people don't in those days, there was a lot of uh, discrimination based on those things. And they found that they're part of a larger community, but spread over a large area. A new life. Being now reborn, they have a new perspective that realizes that the former life was one of hopelessness. Because you see here, they're born again to a living hope. A living hope, not a, um, what shall I say, an unknown hope, but something that they can be certain of. They don't re didn't realize it before, but their life was hopeless, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. And that hopelessness was masked by doing stuff to make themselves feel good. And that happens today. People get involved in charitable activities. They give to people just to make themselves feel better, to take that ache away that, of the hopelessness they have 
but it doesn't work, so they have to keep on. You have to do good deeds and so on. Uh, the hopelessness that comes without Christ. And But Peter is reminding them this hopelessness, this hope that you have in verse 4. He says that it's uh, uh, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It takes their eyes off the uh, situation now and looks to the future. They couldn't do that before because the future wasn't very uh, promising. They have a great hope. Now Peter's further instructions, as we mentioned last week, is that in this you rejoice. Let's read that verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the test so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there again, he's pointing ahead to the fact that when Jesus Christ comes back, all our uh, hope is in that and our rejoicing in that day. And we, as he points out in the next verse, um, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice that with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Take your eyes off the situation now. It will pass. What's in the future will not. That's his first point. So you notice that in the beginning part of this verse, uh, this uh, book, he's talking about their motivation and their attitude. He's not talking about what they do. It's a matter of what are you thinking? What's inside? And he goes on. Uh, and we're going to pick up from there the next little part, because that's just a quick review of what we covered last week. Uh, just saying Paul, Paul says the same thing, rejoice always. So he starts talking about holiness. Let's go down to verse um, 13, or 15. Concerning the salvation of the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring that that what persons or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that are now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. We can rejoice in the fact that we now know something that even those prophets of old love to have seen. And then he goes on, therefore prepare your mind for action. We'll come back to that. Being sober-minded, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. Jason has taken us through a few weeks talking about holiness. It right through scripture. Notice he says, first of all, the negative. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's hard to let, get low, let go of the past, isn't it? We have old habits die hard, as we often say, because uh, we're human. But he says you've got to let go. And it takes a while. He, talks, he makes the case about being the result of ignorance, not being crass or anything like that, but because we didn't know. Now we know. And that's what we were talking about right off the bat. We know the difference. And as Del Tackett said last night in the video, last week in the video, he said, I'm not interested in your Sunday school answers. <laughs> we all know what the answers are. He says, I'm interested in how you live this out and what your everyday understanding of the lies that are, we're exposed to on a daily basis and how we demonstrate that. 
we have our eyes open and the passions of the past are not the way we live. And then he goes on in verses 15 and uh, 16. My glasses aren't working tonight. I need a large print Bible, I think. But as he who called you is holy, so you also are holy in your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. What does that mean to you? Do you think we can be as holy as God? Isn't that what he's saying? Be holy as I am holy. Can we do that? Being holy means separated, set aside. Yeah, that's I mean, a, we, that's we, a we good point. We kind of let the world, this is another world word that we let the world define. Yep. And um, so I hear you saying we're in this, we're swimming in this ocean, we're in this bathtub with everybody else, but we don't have to be like everybody else. Right, we, exactly. We need to separate ourselves from these and an obvious uh, example would be all the vessels that were used in the tabernacle worship in the wilderness. They were set apart for only that purpose. They were holy. Uh, they weren't sinless, but they were set apart, consecrated for that use only. So then if we use that definition, Jim, what does it mean then if we are holy? Well, we're separated from some of those list things on that list that Okay, we have to be careful because sometimes people complain about the church because we're always talking about what we're not. Whereas God uses the word holy to say what we are. We're separated, not necessarily away from the world, but we're separated to God. To God. There's the point. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the whole idea of being holy is that we are separated towards honoring him, living uh, a kingdom life of the kingdom of God. And uh, Dallas Willard in his book that we mentioned last week, The Divine Conspiracy, goes through the three chapters of um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, describing the fact that he, Jesus is trying to present to his disciples the fact that this is kingdom living. And the trouble with the church today is we don't think kingdom when we walk out that door. We think the world, right? What's going on? And our mind has to be tied into the kingdom. I'm thinking of verse uh, 14 when you ask that question because it says, uh, uh, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Having been... Um, saved as an adult, I remember when I used to think ignorantly, if that's the right way to say mm -hmm. it. And so my responsibility is not to live in that, with that ignorance anymore, but live with truth and in the truth, in that hope. Oh, that's right. That's right? what you're saying. That's what you're saying. And that's how I'm different. When we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at yeah, night. Yeah, that's right. There's this separation to that type of living. Living in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Something you said there got me thinking back to, you showed the pictures of Stephen Harper and Andrew Scheer. And I think of them when I think of the Christians and we're guilty of this ourselves. We, we leave the back door and then we put on our secular hat mm -hmm. and we don't let what we believe affect our lives. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, they would say, I'm personally No, no. And unfortunately, people who have any standards in those areas get a, a big target on their back. And the human condition is we, we try to avoid the target, you know. And uh, I don't know. I'm not turning it into a political point, no. but I'm just saying we all do that. Yeah, we yeah. We feel like we go through our days and we have our beliefs in our head. Yeah. Not we necessarily lack, that's right. So we lack yes. integrity? Yeah. 
consistency, yeah. integrity. Yeah. We do. Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem. Uh, and that's what Peter is addressing here. Yeah. We need to believe and act. And we see the acting part as we move on next week. Uh, this week, Sandy goes out with her red hat ladies and the question is asked, when we go out for lunch, why can't we go to the casino and have our lunch there? And then you start thinking, uh, where on the line do you, do you call it quits, if you know what I mean? Like, we in our marriage have purpose not to be involved with gambling, alcohol, um, wrong movies, and so on. And you have to... Now, some people have a different conscience about it. They say, well, it's only a $5 meal or something like that, and you don't have to do any gambling. And uh, But I have purpose never to enter a casino. And her, our reasoning is we're church leaders, and that weighs heavily on us. Um, some of you may disagree with me, but that's our stand, and that's what we feel is our purpose to live separate from the world. Um, I love doing cross. Yeah. yeah. I didn't impose my standard on him. No. I, I took my stand for me personally and, and virtually said to him, if you want to go, you go on your yeah. own. That's on you. Mm -hmm. Decide your own life. Yeah. No, and that, yeah, you've got a good point. We have to be very careful about what we tell other people, what their conscience is telling them to, our, our conscience is telling them to do. But there's an example, a perfect example of not following the culture. Right. What the culture says is okay and acceptable and approved and all the rest yeah. of it, for whatever reason. That's, that's the example of being counterculture. Mm -hmm. And that little, that little group of ladies has a culture. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're countercultural in that moment. I um, I enjoy doing crosswords, but I'm finding that I just can't do some of the more difficult ones because I don't know pop culture. I don't listen to the latest music. I don't uh, watch movies, um, all that sort of thing, and it. It never ceases to amaze me how people hang on every word of someone who spends their whole life pretending to be someone else, living a lie. Yeah. They they're think actors. that they're acting. <laughs> and uh, on top of that, these same people live so diametrically opposed to what scriptural principles are. Why would I even be interested in following them? But um, some people do. I think we need to separate ourselves. Paul, or Peter says in, in uh, verse 13, have a look at it again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, some versions say, gird up the loins of your mind. Um, and it came to me as I was reading That's that. He's, pardon? That's not our culture. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Put your thinking cap on. I, the, the phrase that came to my mind is give your head a shake. Uh, <laughs> live for what's real. That's what he's saying. What's real is what's coming with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't live for this um, temporary world right now. Justin Martyr, a man who lived um, in the second century, he wrote this. He's a, a theologian from that period. We who formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life now love only chastity. We who also use magic arts and now have dedicated ourselves to the good and unbegotten God. We who love resources of money and possessions more than anything and now actually share what we have and give to anyone who is in need. 
We who hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race and now since the manifestation of Christ have a common life and pray for our enemies and try to win over those who hate us without cause. How do we do that? It's not easy. But you remember we've been born again. We have the power to do it if we have uh, we consistently keep our mind on what we've been taught from Scripture. We do, exactly. And we also have another advantage. Um, in those days, who would have had a copy of this in front of them? It would have been read from the front and they'd hear it once. But we have this in front of us. We can read it every day. And for centuries afterwards, the only access to the scriptures was chained to a pulpit in a language they couldn't read. How can we miss what he's telling us here and uh, not follow it? In... Um, verse... 18. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things which are silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He's bringing us back to focus on our whole reason for being here. The whole reason you're sitting in this pew or chair or whatever, the whole reason you come here in the first place is it has nothing to do with us. It has something to do with, everything to do with what he's done for us and the price that was paid for us to be able to do this. And that price was not in silver and gold. It was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, if you keep that in your mind, that everything you do is based on that event, then we're going to have a different mindset than listening to the world, especially when it's so contrary to what Scripture says. Hey, this is John. Yes. There's a whole movement uh, out there that is, um, like from China, uh, declaring that um, people can receive Jesus as Savior and Master. You're trying to keep us here all night, aren't you? <laughs> uh, that's a huge topic, and um, of course we, we can't spend. But you're absolutely right. Um, at no point does Jesus ever not stop being your Lord. He is our Lord. Uh, once, and especially we should be recognizing him as that once we're saved. And one of the problems with that is that encourages this whole idea of a second blessing and so on that uh, you're kind of cruising for a while but all of a sudden you get into second gear. I, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. Thank you. Emphasizing the grace of God is, um, is true but it's not balanced so it's one of those things where there's yes. easily deceived by sayings and things out there that have a partial truth. Mm -hmm. They sound really good and there's just a little bit of truth in it. So it's true, yeah, God is gracious. Yeah, he God is. is forgiving. No question. But it's not balanced and it's not the whole truth. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, thank you.
So we move on to the second chapter of Peter. The, this whole topic of our motivation, our attitude, spills over into partway through chapter two. And then partway uh, through that chapter, he goes into how we actually behave. So remember he's talking to exiles who are isolated and they're, um, he wants to impress on them that they're really part of something big, something important. They're not in small little enclaves. They are actually part of this huge group of people from now until the end of time. Uh, but to start off with, let's just ask this question. When was the last time you saw or heard in the media the word sin? What do they do with it today? In common, out in the street, what is sin? It's there, but the, when they talk but about it. It's not so bad. I mean, you haven't killed anybody. Yeah. Right? right. It's something that's you really. You rationalize your behavior. Yeah. Okay. Little right. white lie. Little yeah. white lie. Well, you should have seen what he did to me. Euphemisms, yeah. 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 Okay. Euphemisms. Right. So. Where does sin come from? Where's the origin of sin? Bad upbringing. Before that. Before that. Missed the mark. Before, pardon? Missed the mark. Okay, before that. Missed the map. Oh, in the garden. Before that. Before the garden. Satan. Satan. Okay. There's the beginning of sin, right? What was Satan's statement? Do you see that? I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That expression, I will, occurs in scripture thousands of times in over 2,000 verses. I counted them. <laughs> 2,209. Um, most of those times it occurs in Scripture, it's God saying, I will do this, I will, and so on, foretelling what he's going to do. But sometimes, like this, it's us telling him what we're going to do. And that's where sin comes from. Pride, all right? It's when I was in uh, high school, <laughs> got a long memory, my grade 11, 12 English teacher called it hubris. Hubris, you ever heard that? Hubris, pride that apes the gods. The word apes means imitates, the pride that imitates the gods. It's a term used in... Um, um, mythology, Greek mythology especially. And um, now, pride is celebrated, isn't it? Yeah. It's man telling God what he's going to do. Um, now, hubris is actually part of a tragedy in Greek mythology. And our world is living a tragedy. And it's going, going down the sewer. Just because of this pride. And that's where sin starts with pride, almost every case. But here Peter is talking about a list of sins that we need to avoid. Let's look at it. This is verse uh, 22. Verse 22? Sorry. Chapter two. Sorry. We're in, no, we're over. <laughs> we're past 22. Um, we're going to skip down 22 to, to, to uh, chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Um, he's listing a few of the um, sins that beset us, but they all are sourced in pride. 
I'm uh, not working here. When you think about it, malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, slander, they're all pointed at me trying to make the other person less, okay? They're all locked up. There we go. Sorry. We can't be holy people and have these things in our life. That's where he's starting from. In spite of the difficulties you're encountering, in spite of the fact that your neighbor doesn't like you because of your stand, in spite of the fact that he slashed your tires and so on, you can't live with that in your life. He wants you to live separately and holy and get rid of all these things in our life. And there's a reason for that. We need to be countercultural because he's saying you're part of a bigger picture. You're part of a, a, a movement or more than that. You're living stones. Look what he says here. Chapter 2. As you come to him, verse 4, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's saying you may find that you're, you think you're an isolated little pebble somewhere, but actually you're being built into a big building. And you're part of a huge group of people. And you can't be there if you're going to live in sin um, and live an unholy life. And he talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. He can be either a cornerstone to us or a, a stumbling stone for others. Look what he says in verse 7. So the honor is for you to believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. The point he's making is this. Jesus was marginalized. He was marginalized too, just like you are. Now there's an important point. Jesus brings that out when he talks to his disciples. And he says the disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And he's saying, you gotta expect this because Jesus said it. But you still live a holy life. You still live in joy. You still live in hope because you're born again and you're part of this spiritual house that's being built, independent of what's going on in your life. Jesus said too, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I was reading um, Tim Challies this week, I believe it was, and he says, you know, it's surprising. We live in a post Christian era here in North America and a lot of the European countries. But there's a lot of countries around the world that are starting to live in a pre-Christian era and they're turning to Christ. And they have been in an, a tremendously adversarial situation for millennia and living as Christians. He says, we in North America always think we've got the answers. But we should go to them now and find out how are we supposed to live in this environment where we're, we are now exiles. Sometimes we're too proud to recognize the fact that the, the native people of Africa or South America who are trying to live for Christ have answers that we need and aren't willing to ask for them. Because we're going to be facing a lot more than we are today as the exiles in our own culture. I believe that Peter then summarizes this section with this statement that comes in verse 11 of chapter 2. 
He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, don't miss that. When are we going to see, what shall I say, the results of our living? Not tomorrow, not next week and next year. On the day of visitation, you know what he's referring to? When Christ returns. We're not going to see the benefits of what we're doing until then. But we're still asked to carry on as exiles and live a holy life. Um, but in a day that's coming, God will be glorified in our life if we live according to the way he has told us. Countercultural to what the world is telling us to live. I was, um, what shall I say, sobered, uh, convicted this week. <laughs> we have one of our residents, very uh, sensitive man. I talked to him quite a bit. And recently someone moved in above him, uh, took the place of a lady who was very quiet. But uh, the people who moved in above him are quite noisy. He likes to get to sleep early. And he says, I can't do that anymore. They're crashing and banging around up there until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And he says, it drives me crazy. And then they're up first thing in the morning. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll talk about them in a minute. <laughs> and then when they get up in the morning, he says, crash, bang, and he's awake. And he can't sleep. And he says that uh, he's not getting enough sleep. And uh, so he and I have gone and talked to this couple and mentioned what's going on. They said, it's not us. It's, we're not doing anything. And it continues. So he says, I pray for them. He's a devout Catholic. Every day he goes and prays and, and attends Mass. So... Last week, he said, five o'clock in the morning, awful crash. He says, I'm wide awake. I get up, I get dressed, I go up to see what's going on. She's being taken out in an ambulance. He said, I prayed for her. And I went and sat down with her husband. And I let him pour out his grief and his story. I'm thinking... Would I have done that? What a compassionate thing to do. And he told the story of their romance and their life and their marriage. And he says, I have this love for them. I pray for them. But he says, they keep me awake. <laughs> Would I do that? We have to live compassionately with people. We have to live counterculturally. And I'm so grateful for someone like that teaching me that lesson. There's so many lessons we can learn. So just quickly. Oops. There's our list. I'm crossing out polite and apologetic, if you don't <laughs> mind. Okay? Uh, they're debatable. And I'll leave this up there. And what I'd like you to see if you want to take the time. See if you can come up with a verse in scripture or passage in scripture which is explains why we are countercultural to those. And we'll talk about it next week. I'd like you to see if you can come up with a verse in scripture which explains why we would be countercultural to these. For example, where is there a verse in scripture that says that we shouldn't be materialistic? Okay? Where is there one that says we shouldn't be easily offended? And so on. In other words, a verse that promotes the opposite of those. I don't. I see some people taking a picture of it. I'm just leaving them up here, so if you want to write them down or 
Um, I thought of another one. Mm -hmm. uh, just saying what you were saying near the end, the world is instant. It's a microwave oven age, and we have an eye for the future. And patience, People right? People want to see things happen now. Yeah. Delay gratification. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> is there a ver verse for that, too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, any other comments or questions while people are writing this down? So next week we're going to talk about being free. Always wanted to be free, didn't you? We are free. We're going to talk what that means. Peter tells us. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you again, acknowledging that you are the one who is all truth, all wisdom, all knowledge. And we're learning. And we pray that um, as we contemplate these things that might bring to attention those areas in our life where we are inconsistent with your message in the scripture. Pray that you will uh, correct us and uh, encourage us where we see you working in our lives. Thank you for each one that's come and for their participation, their knowledge, their wisdom. Bring us back in safely another time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.